Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 26 of the show. And again, as always, I appreciate the support and the listens and the follows. And I know the last few episodes have been on the longer side. Just had so much to catch up on with the NFL playoffs going on. So uh, this weekend's episode is not going to be uh, as long, but uh, we still have quite a bit of news to get through across all the various sports. So we're going to start off like we usually do, and that's the PGA Tour. And last weekend was the Farmers Insurance Open, and that was at the Torrey Pines Golf Course in La Jolla, California. It's a par 72, and the yardage was 7,258 yards. Now, for the opening two rounds, they used both the north and the south courses. And then after the cuts were made on uh, Friday, only the south course was used for the duration of the weekend. And the north course is the easier of the two courses there at Torrey Pines, of course, with the south being the harder of the two. And Torrey Pines is actually the site of the 2021 U.S. Open later this summer here in June. So the players that played uh, this past weekend got a, a preview of how Torrey Pines is looking uh, here when they come back in a couple months. But it was a pretty solid field. Uh, plenty of the world's top golfers were out there. Uh, ran as, there was some bad, really bad weather on Friday. Uh, there was some rain, some light hail, a lot of wind. It just wasn't great. Um, so it, it that kind of affected the, the Friday scores. But at the end of it, your winner was Patrick Reed with a score of 14 under par. And it was his ninth career victory on tour. And his five-shot victory here at Torrey Pines was actually the largest of his career and the largest at the Farmers Insurance Open since 2008. Now, Patrick Reed got himself in the middle of some controversy during Saturday's third round. Uh, he hit a ball, and it kind of got embedded in the rough. He went up to it. He moved it before getting an official ruling. Uh, nobody saw it land, so he he had picked it up, dropped it, and it kind of moved. So he picked it up again before calling the rules rules official over. Well, uh, Roy McIlroy had a similar thing happened in the same round, and uh, since then, Rory has actually come out and said that uh, there was a volunteer that actually stepped on his embedded ball and didn't tell him. So he moved it, you know, picked it up and moved it. But at the end of it, the PGA officials came out and said that both Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy marked, lifted, and assessed the situation to determine if the ball was embedded. Reed actually went one step further to call over a rules official. Both players took proper relief under Rule 16-3. So Patrick Reed got a lot of flack because he's kind of been accused of cheating before on the course, and so this didn't help his case. But apparently, per the PGA officials, uh, Patrick Reed has nothing to worry about, neither does Rory McIlroy. So Reed was your winner at 14-under. There was a fifth, or there was a a five-way tie for for second place, all right? And that was Tony Finau, Henrik Norlander, Ryan Palmer, Xander Schauffele, and Victor Hovland all finished at 9-under par. Now, Tony Finau, I told you a couple weeks ago he was a birdie machine. He added 17 more birdies this weekend, and this was his 35th top 10 finish since his last win on tour in 2016, which, as I talked about last week, is the most by far. A couple other notable names, Xander Schauffele. He grew up in San Diego. Uh, He's familiar with the course. He went to San Diego State, so he's probably played Torrey Pines a whole bunch. Um, He hasn't 
historically done very well at Torrey Pines, like you would expect, but uh, he'll take a T2 this weekend. Now, Victor Hovland, he finished at 9-under as well. He completely fell apart on the back nine. Uh, He was solo second for a while. Looked like probably the only guy that was going to be able to catch Patrick Reed. But then Hovland went out and bogeyed 14 and 15, and you just knew. They were horrible bogeys, uh, and you knew he was out of it then. And then he went on to bogey 17 to make it official. So instead of a second place by himself, he gets in a five-way tie for second. Now, there was a three-way tie for seventh, which is essentially the equivalent of you know third, basically, because of how many people finished at second place. But uh, Will Zalatoris... Lanto Griffin and John Rom. They all were eight under par. Uh, Will Zalatoris, I love this kid. He, uh, I've picked him several times in my picks to click throughout uh, last season. He's the former top-ranked amateur, and he actually closed with an eagle on 18 on Sunday, uh, and that kind of matches an eagle that he had in Thursday's opening round. So he's a good young golfer. He looked pretty good out there. Uh, Lanto Griffin, he shot even par over the, the weekend rounds, but his Thursday and Friday rounds were low enough to get him at 8-under. Now, John Rahm, he was a heavy favorite to to win this weekend. He also shot even par over the weekend, and he just ran out of gas on Sunday. Uh, It it looked like he was trying to make a push. He birdied uh, three of the first six holes uh, Sunday to start making a run, but then he just kind of fell apart with some bogeys and, and never really got it back. But um, let's check out Rick's picks to click from the uh, Farmers Insurance Open. Now, the week before last at the American Express, I clicked on two of my three picks with both of those clicks being inside the top four. So pretty good week. See how I follow it up here. Um, Farmers Insurance Open, Rick's picks to click. First one I gave you was a repeat. It was Tony Finau. He was coming off that fourth place finish. He had played Torrey Pines six times, and all six times he'd been in the top 25. The guy's just been a machine lately. I just talked about him. He finished at T2, 9 under par, 35th top 10 finish since his last win. So definitely clicked on him with a second-place finish. Uh, my second pick to click this past weekend was Rory McIlroy. Uh, he was coming off a third-place finish in Abu Dhabi the week before. He had... Only pre, uh, played Torrey Pines twice previously, finishing fifth and third. So he's uh, done pretty well at this course historically. But uh, he ended up finishing tied for 16th at six under par. And he actually went one over on Sunday. So he kind of fell apart on Sunday as well. But he finished at 16th, so that was good for another click. My final pick to click was John Rahm. And I just talked about him as well. He finished at T7, 8 under par. Um, He's historically done well in this tournament. He's won it before, so um, he's just got a knack for Torrey Pines. But he finished at 7 under, I mean uh, 8 under, tied for 7th. So I actually clicked on all three of my picks this week. Three for three. So getting back on the the Rick's picks to click, we'll fast forward here to the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which is this weekend. That's held at TPC Scottsdale in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's a par 71. Distance for the course is 7,115 yards. Now, the most famous hole on this course is the par 3 16th, which is called the stadium hole, basically. And that what that is, it's surrounded by grandstands, and players encourage the fans to cheer and be as loud as possible uh, whenever they get to the tee shot, which is just the exact opposite of what you know, golf is supposed to be. Obviously, it's supposed to be quiet when they hit, but the 16th hole at TPC Scottsdale is just a party waiting to happen, and the players encourage it, and it's it's quite the spectacle in golf, and that just won't have the same effect this year since there's uh, no nobody going to be in the stands there, but uh, that sound is normally deafening, so it'll be pretty eerie to see uh, nobody up there, but last year, this tournament was actually played right before the pandemic started, so This is the first trip to TPC Scottsdale without fans in the stands. Now, last year's tournament actually went to a playoff hole. Webb Simpson beat Tony Finau in that playoff hole uh, to capture his first of two victories last year. But we'll look at uh, Rick's picks to click for this weekend's Waste Management Phoenix Open. 
First pick I'll give you is Daniel Berger. He's ranked number 14th in the world. He finished tied for ninth here last year, which was his fourth top 11 finish out of six trips to TPC Scottsdale. So he's historically done really well at this course. Uh, he's taken a few weeks off. Uh, he played in the Aloha back-to-back tournaments there in Hawaii a few weeks ago, and he went 10th and T7. So he's been playing pretty well. He's had a little rest. I like for Berger to come out and finish inside the top 25. My second pick to click is Webb Simpson. He's ranked number nine in the world, and he's just an absolute beast at TPC Scottsdale. He's made 10 trips to TPC Scottsdale. He's made eight cuts, so he's eight for 10, and out of those eight uh, cuts made, he's got five top 10s and seven top 20s, including that win last year. So... Seven out of eight times he's made the cut at TPC Scottsdale. He's been inside the top 20. So I like for Webb Simpson to finish inside the top 25. Now my final pick to click is Xander Shoffley. He's ranked number four in the world, and he's coming off a T2 last week at Torrey Pines that we just talked about. And that followed a T5 at Kapalua in Hawaii, which was his previous event to Torrey Pines. And believe it or not, Xander Shoffley has actually finished inside the top 25 his last 14 starts. And he's made three trips here to TPC Scottsdale, and he's finished inside the top 20 in all three of those starts. So based on that, give me Shoffley to uh, not only finish inside the top 25, but I think Xander Shoffley's got a really good chance to win this week here at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. But we'll move on to the National Football League. And, of course, this past weekend, we did not have any playoff games. It is the uh, Super Bowl bye week uh, where the Pro Bowl is normally played. And, of course, this year there was no Pro Bowl played in person, but it was played virtually. And I talked about last week a little bit of how they were going to do that. But the Pro Bowl this year was played on Madden, video game. Now, ESPN did a broadcast of a Pro Bowl celebration on Sunday before the game was played, and it was actually pretty cool. I, I tuned into it for a bit, um, and they highlighted multi- uh, multiple top plays throughout the year. They interviewed Pro Bowl players. Uh, they had some mic'd up stuff from throughout the year. It was basically the virtual version of the players relaxing and having a good time, just like they'd be doing if the Pro Bowl was being played in person. So it was pretty neat to see... Um, the game was actually, I told you it was played on Madden. There was four representatives from each conference playing from their own homes, and each player played one five-minute quarter before giving it off to the next guy. So the matchups were as follows. Of course, the rosters they used were the official AFC and NFC Pro Bowl rosters from this year, as voted on. Now, the inter- I'll just get into some interesting facts real quick about the Pro Bowl rosters. Out of the 88 players selected to the Pro Bowl this year, 32 of them were 25 years old or younger, which is just insane. 26 of them were first-time Pro Bowlers, and then there were only two rookies selected to the Pro Bowl, both of which were in the NFC, and that was Justin Jefferson and Chase Young. So once those rosters got loaded up into Madden, the uh, Pro Bowl matchups were as follows. The first quarter was Deshaun Watson versus Kyler Murray. Second quarter, Keyshawn Johnson versus Bubba Wallace. Third quarter was Derrick Henry versus Jamal Adams. Fourth quarter was Snoop Dogg versus Marshawn Lynch. And in the end, the NFC ended up winning the Pro Bowl by a score of 32-12. to And Arizona, uh, Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray was named the Pro Bowl MVP for his performance both on the field and on the sticks on Madden. Uh, He was the best player uh, for the NFC, and he statistically in the game did pretty well uh, too. So, But that'll bring us to this weekend, which is, of course, Super Bowl 55. And I had an expanded preview of Super Bowl 55 last week, so if you missed last week's episode... Go back and check it out because I had discussed plenty of in-depth 
stats and things to take a look up uh, at that matchup from all different angles. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs this week uh, dodged a major bullet on the COVID front. So there was about 20 Chiefs players and staffers, including Patrick Mahomes, that were scheduled to get haircuts this week with the team barber who they had come to the team facility. Well, the barber had been, as part of the protocol, he had been testing for COVID daily. Uh, so the five previous days to uh, when he cut hair, was he had negative tests. But he took a PCR test that morning, the day of the haircut, and was notified mid-haircut on Chiefs backup center Daniel Kilgore that he had a positive PCR test. Now, those PCR tests are horribly inaccurate. They're probably about 50% accurate. And he had just had five consecutive negative days, uh, negative tests. So they yanked him immediately from the barber chair, and uh, Daniel Kilgore was placed on the COVID reserve list, and he can actually come back to the team this weekend for the Super Bowl if he tests negative on Saturday, day before the Super Bowl. So that was a huge bullet dodge because none of the you know major important players like Mahomes or anybody else had gotten in the chair, so uh, they don't have to worry about them being on the COVID protocol. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't all luck this week for the Chiefs. They did get some some grim injury news. Uh, their Pro Bowl left tackle Eric Fisher has been ruled out of the Super Bowl with an Achilles injury, and that's a major blow to the offensive line. Uh, one of the best left tackles in the league. But when Chiefs coach Andy Reid was asked about the situation with Fisher, he said that he's not too worried because all of his offensive linemen practice at all of the positions, so they can be ready whenever need be. And that's just a, another testament to how well Andy Reid prepares his teams. Uh, and he's he's been coaching at a high level his whole career. Um, he's gotten several trips to the Super Bowl, uh, a bunch of trips to the conference championship games, and just the fact that you have all of your offensive linemen practicing every position just in case something like this happens. I don't know how many teams do that, but um, that's uh, that's precisely why the Chiefs are on the top of the NFL pedestal as we speak. Now, I picked the Chiefs to win the football game, and I'm sticking to that. But the only thing that I didn't really cover last week on the episode was each team's keys to a victory. So I will go ahead and discuss that right now. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we'll start with them. The key to a victory for the Buccaneers is this. It's red zone defense. They have to hold Kansas City in the red zone. In their Week 12 matchup in the regular season, Tampa Bay held Kansas City to 0 for 3 in the red zone. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs were 2 for 5 in the red zone against the Cleveland Browns in the divisional round, which ended up being a very close game. But the Chiefs were 5 for 5 in the red zone against the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game, which was a blowout. So you can see the correlation there. Tampa Bay needs to play red zone defense like they did in Week 12 against the Chiefs in order to have a chance to win. But Tampa Bay's defense has been buzzing, especially here in the playoffs. Tampa Bay's got 11 games this year, including the playoffs, in which they have multiple takeaways. That's tied for the most in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, this postseason, Tampa Bay has 41 points off of turnovers, which is the third most ever by a team entering the Super Bowl. And I mentioned last week how Tampa Bay cashed in their turnovers against Green Bay. They're going to have to do that against Kansas City as well. Now, the issue with that is that Mahomes is very tidy with the football, so I would not expect multiple turnovers from the Chiefs uh, unless you can get uh, a muffed punt or a fumble on a run or something. But if Tampa Bay can, if they can force a couple of turnovers, they got to cash them in for points. Now, Tampa Bay's defensive line, they have 13.7 quarterback pressures per game this season, which is second in the NFL. And a big part of that is Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett. They've combined for 101 pressures this year. Those two have got to force Mahomes 
to make throws outside the pocket and make him uncomfortable. Because Mahomes, when he has time, he's going to make you pay. Now, he's also going to make plays outside the pocket as well because Mahomes led the uh, NFL with 83 completions and 13 touchdown passes while on the run, while throwing on the run. So he's obviously very accurate uh, when he throws on the run. But if I'm Tampa Bay, I like my chances at winning better if Mahomes is throwing outside of the pocket rather than sitting there camped out inside the pocket. Because you know if he's got time, he's going to make you pay. So you have to get pressure. Now, like I just talked about, Eric Fisher's out on that Kansas City offensive line. So keep an eye on the left side of that O-line for Kansas City because that uh, deficiency there might actually turn out to be one of the main differences in the game. It just depends on how well their uh, offensive line clicks without Eric Fisher in there. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs' keys to a victory uh, is also on the defensive side because both teams have great offenses and you know both teams are capable of scoring a lot of points. But how well the Chiefs can pressure Tom Brady is going to determine how well they do in this game. Tom Brady has a total QBR quarterback rating of 10.6 when he's pressured this season, which is 27th in the NFL, so almost dead last. And we know Tom Brady is not mobile at all. He cannot run. So pressure is going to be necessary. Tom Brady is 2-3 and three in his postseason career when he's sacked at least four times. Now, when Brady's sacked three times or fewer, he's 31-8. and eight in the postseason. So the magic number for the Chiefs is four sacks. If the Chiefs can get enough pressure and force at least four sacks, I think they're going to have a very solid chance to win this game. Because, like I said, both offenses are just juggernauts when given adequate time to make plays. And I just, I feel more confident in the Kansas City offense than I do the Tampa Bay offense. uh, Because, A main reason why Tampa Bay is in the Super Bowl is because of their defense, not so much necessarily Tom Brady. But the key for both of these teams lies on the defensive side. And I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be responsible for less turnovers than Tom Brady. And I think the Chiefs are going to score more points than the Buccaneers. So if you couple those things together, that's why I still like the Chiefs to win this game. Now, as of this recording, the Chiefs are favored to win the game at minus three, and the over-under for points in the game is at 56. Uh, I think the Chiefs are going to cover the spread at at minus three. I think they'll they'll win by more than three, and I think the game is actually going to go over the 56 points. So I'm going to take Chiefs to cover the minus three and for the game to go over 56 points. Now, some more info on the halftime show. I I talked last week a little bit, and I told you that the weekend was going to be performing at the Super Bowl halftime show, which I told you he's my favorite singer. I've seen him in person several times and all that. But I I read an article this week that said that the weekend wanted a true cinematic experience for his performance. So in order to make that possible... The weekend actually spent $7 million of his own money in order to make his show how he wanted it, which is absurd because I'm sure the, the budget that they get from the sponsorship is probably astronomical. But he went out and spent $7 million of his own money to go ahead and make this thing even better. Now, he's three-time Grammy Award winner. Um, it's just some of, some of you may not have heard of him. Some of you may have. His song opens my show uh, on the podcast here, but... I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a good show. He's he's one of the top R&B singers uh, right now, and he just he's going to put on a good performance. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association, and we'll get into a standings update here in just a minute. But there were a couple of crazy games that happened this past week, and those games were the Portland Trailblazers' 123-122 to win over the Chicago Bulls, and the Washington Wizards' outrageous 149-146 to win over the Brooklyn Nets. Now, both of those games were won on last-second 
go-ahead shots. And both winning team had been down really late in the game. Now, in the last 25 NBA seasons, teams are a combined nine wins and 23,498 losses when trailing by five-plus points in the final 10 seconds of the game. Well, two of those nine wins came this past week with those two games. Just some crazy stuff going on in the NBA right now. But we'll jump into the standings update. In the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers are 16-7. and Milwaukee Bucks are 13 and 8. The Brooklyn Nets are 14 and 9. Uh, they're 7 and 3 in their last 10 games. Now, I told you they just lost to Washington after scoring 146 points. Well, they did not have James Harden in that game, but they still lost a game after scoring almost 150 points. So, since the James Harden trade, the Brooklyn Nets They have an offensive rating of 122.6, which is tops in the league, and if they finish the season at that number, it would be the best of all time. Now, on the defensive side, their rating is 119.9. That's dead last in the league in that time frame, and if they finish the season at that mark, would be the lowest of all time. So, back to the standings. Brooklyn's the third seed currently in the East, Boston Celtics are 11 and 9. Indiana Pacers 12 and 10. And then the next four teams all have a record of 10 and 12. Uh, three teams, my apologies. Charlotte Hornets, Cleveland Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks, 6, 7, and 8. They're all 10 and 12. The New York Knicks are just on the outside at 10 and 13. Toronto Raptors, surprisingly, are 9 and 12. Chicago Bulls, 8 and 12. Orlando Magic, 8 and 14. Shocker is your Eastern Conference champion, Miami Heat. They're at 7 and 14. Washington Wizards are 5 and 13. They're 3 and 7 in their last 10. And then the Detroit Pistons are 5 and 16. They actually beat the Lakers this past week as well uh, for a big win there. But in the Western Conference, some powerful teams in the West, man. The West has always predominantly been maybe a little better, at least these last five to seven years, but that is really the case this year. Uh, the Utah Jazz are tops in the West at the moment at 17-5. and five. L.A. Clippers, 17-6. and six. L.A. Lakers, 17-6. and six. Denver Nuggets, 12-9. and nine. Portland Trailblazers, 12-9. and nine. Phoenix Suns, 11-9. They just keep looking better each week. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, they just put an absolute beatdown on my Dallas Mavericks last night. They're 12-10 as the seventh seed right now. San Antonio Spurs are eighth. They're also 12-10. and 10. And just on the outside looking in at the moment, Memphis Grizzlies, 9-8. and eight. Houston Rockets, 11-10. They're actually 7-3, and three. and that... That team, since they got rid of Harden, they put Victor Oladipo in there with John Wall and Christian Wood. And that team is actually really good. Uh, I expect them to probably make the playoffs. They're, they're playing at a pretty high level, at least in their last 10 games. Uh, Sacramento Kings are 10-11. and 11. Oklahoma City Thunder, 9-11. and 11. New Orleans Pelicans, 8-12. and 12. Dallas Mavericks, 9-14. and 14. Just can't seem to get out of their own way. Three and seven in their last ten, and then the Minnesota Timberwolves are five and sixteen. So, um, still plenty of time left in the NBA season, but we're kind of starting to see who the uh, really top top tier teams are, who the elite teams are, and then who's going to be kind of scrambling to make the playoffs. So we are kind of getting that uh, to take shape, but still a lot of time left, and um, you know, in a in a COVID season, anything really can happen. So. We'll just keep uh, keep watching basketball, and and it's it's been pretty pretty entertaining. And like I said, a couple major major good games this week, and it seems to be the new norm now. NBA giving us a, some drama on, on a weekly basis. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League, and we don't really have any major news. We talked about the blockbuster trade that went down last week, so we'll just go through a standings update in the NHL. Uh, the Dallas Stars, my beloved Dallas Stars. They started off the season 4-0, their last undefeated team in the league before they finally lost. 
And uh, we've had a couple teams have some COVID issues. The uh, Vegas Golden Knights, they had about a week, week and a half hiatus with no activities uh, due to COVID protocols. They actually just got cleared to resume all activities, so they'll be back on the ice. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres have had some COVID issues. Their coach tested positive this past week. And the Colorado Avalanche have postponed all of their games until at least February 11th due to COVID protocols. So we're starting to see COVID kind of impact the NHL, but uh, the NHL seems to be staying on course for a, a regular season. And uh, just uh, games are getting played, which is the main thing. But we'll we'll do our division update. We'll run through those. There's been uh, some changes to all divisions. In the Scotia North Division, the Toronto Maple Leafs, 8-2-1. and one. Montreal Canadiens, 7-2-2. Winnipeg Jets, 7-3-1. Edmonton Oilers, 6-6. Vancouver Canucks, 6-8. Calgary Flames, 4-5-1. And And the poor, pitiful Ottawa Senators, 2-8-1, holding up the rear. Although they just had a big win last night. Uh, The Mass Mutual East Division, Boston Bruins, 7-1-2, 7-1-2, Philadelphia Flyers, 7-2-2, Washington Capitals, 6-2-3, Pittsburgh Penguins, 5-4-1, New Jersey Devils, 4-3-2, the New York Rangers and the Buffalo Sabres are both 4-4-2, the New York Islanders are actually last in the Mass Mutual East Division with a record of 3-4-2. In the Honda West Division, Colorado Avalanche, 7-3-1. St. Louis Blues, 7-3-1. Minnesota Wild, 6-5. Vegas Golden Knights, 5-1-1. Anaheim Ducks, 4-5-2. Arizona Coyotes, 4-5-1. Los Angeles Kings, 3-4-2. And the San Jose Sharks at 3-5. So you notice in that division, Vegas is still in fourth place, and they've only played seven games. So they're they're looking really good this year. Now in the Discover Central Division, Tampa Bay Lightning six one and one, Columbus Blue Jackets five four and three, Florida Panthers five zero oh and two, Carolina Hurricanes six and two, Chicago Blackhawks four four and four. Dallas Stars 5-2 and 1. Nashville Predators 5 and 5 and the Detroit Red Wings 2-7 and 2. Now, Dallas Stars have only played 8 games. Florida's only played 7. Uh Tampa's only played 8 as well. So, uh still plenty of games left in that division. Um Carolina too has only played 8. So, probably the fewest games played out of any division as far as number of total games played as a central division, but plenty of movement. All those teams are really still in the mix. Uh, Tampa Bay's 13 points and Detroit's six points. There's only a seven-point swing there, so uh, every team is still alive in the central. That'll be an exciting uh, rest of the season to see how that battles out, um, forming some new rivalries. I know Stars just played the the Blue Jackets this uh, past couple days and had a couple of couple of good games there, but yeah, NHL is underway, and they're working through some COVID issues just like the rest of the uh, sports are. And the NHL actually tweaked some COVID protocols uh, this week as well with regarding um, access to the bench and to the players and stuff for any kind of media or whatnot. So leagues are trying to do what they can to keep the sports uh, on the ice, on the field, on the court. You know, So that's, that's the main thing. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. And that's where we do some quick hit topics from across all various sports. And we'll start off with Major League Baseball. Of course, they're still uh, in their offseason. Pitchers and catchers are getting ready to report here shortly, and spring training will be underway soon. Uh, we do have a couple, well, one massive trade to, to break down. And that was between the Colorado Rockies and the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, the Colorado Rockies, they traded all-star third baseman Nolan Arenado 
to the Cardinals. And this trade was just so lopsided. I've actually seen reports of where they're naming it the Friday night heist because it happened about a week ago on Friday night. And the Rockies, not only did they send an all-star third baseman, one of the best power hitters, pure hitters in the game, to the Cardinals, they sent the Cardinals $50 million in cash. And in exchange for that, they uh, received just a handful of of top-level prospects. But you can't trade Nolan Arenado and not get anything major back. And that just seems that... The Rockies are seeming to be in full rebuild mode now, just dumping Arenado for prospects who may or may not pan out. Now, this trade on the Cardinals' side, it's got to make them the favorite in the NL Central. Uh, They already have a good lineup, a decent pitching staff, and then you throw in Arenado into the mix there, and that trade just propels them up towards the top of the NL Central, if not the very top. But we've also had a bunch, uh, a bunch more free agent signings. I've been kind of going over the more important free agent signings over the last several episodes, so we'll just stick to some of the bigger names. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers outfielder Jock Peterson, he signed a one-year, seven million dollar deal with the Chicago Cubs, which is a great signing and a great value for the Cubs because Peterson's going to be an everyday player with the Cubs. He's only 28 years old, and in 687 regular season games with the L.A. Dodgers, um, he only hit 234, but he, he smashed 123 home runs and had 108 doubles. So he's a good left-handed bat in that lineup. Great signing for the Cubs. Now over in the NL East, which again I think is going to be the best division in baseball, Shortstop D.D. Gregorius re-signed with the Philadelphia Phillies on a two-year, $28 million deal. So again, that was absolutely necessary for them to hang with the rest of that NL East that just continually is improving. Catcher Wilson Ramos signed a deal with the Detroit Tigers. Starting pitcher Garrett Richards signed a one-year, $10 million deal with the Boston Red Sox, who uh, hope to get Chris Sale back this year and... Uh, Richards just adds depth to that starting rotation for the Red Sox. Uh, Red Sox also signed outfielder Kike Hernandez, who also came over from the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, Kike Hernandez played an important role in their World Series run. Uh, he was a good good role player, didn't always start, but he did come off the bench and hit some clutch home runs. So another good improvement there for the Red Sox. Uh, outfielder Eddie Rosario, he signed a one-year, $8 million deal with the Cleveland Indians. And starting pitcher Chris Archer, he signed a one-year, $6.5 million deal with the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, if you recall, Tampa had sent him off to Pittsburgh for several years, and um, Archer really didn't... With the Rays, before he was traded, he was kind of in and out of that Cy Young conversation, uh, but... He comes back to Tampa Bay on a cheap deal. I don't think he's quite the pitcher that he was several years ago. But uh, for a team that traded away their ace and Blake Snell and uh, also lost Charlie Morton in free agency, I think getting Chris Archer back is definitely at least a replacement for Morton. But designated hitter Nelson Cruz, uh, he had a couple different offers on the table but he ended up re-signing with the Minnesota Twins one year, $13 million. So Cruz, is he's usually good for about 30 home runs, 100 RBIs in a regular season. So he uh, he's a good power hitter. Again, the Twins have made a couple other moves this offseason. They're trying to get, uh, get their name into the playoff mix as well. But a couple of exits for Major League Baseball. New York Yankees starting pitcher Masahiro Tanaka he announced that he's going to be leaving the Yankees organization and returning to Japan to pitch for the Rakuten Golden Eagles in the Nippon Professional Baseball League. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka, he spent seven seasons with the Yankees, and he was simply just one of the fan favorites. Uh, Yankees have a lot of uh, Asian fans, you know, in the Japan, Korea, uh, China area. 
uh, being a major market over here, and uh, Tanaka was definitely a fan favorite. His productivity kind of started to decline over the last couple years, and he was not the pitcher that we have seen him or that he was when he first came over from Japan. But uh, definitely, he's going to that void's going to have to be filled by the Yankees. Now they did also lose Jay Happ to the Twins. So the Yankees need to start looking for some pitching help because they just lost two of their five starters to free agency and to um, basically just leaving. Um, retirement from Major League Baseball, longtime Boston Red Sox second baseman Dustin Pedroia. He announced his retirement from baseball. And Dustin Pedroia, he's 37 years old, and he hasn't played since 2019 when he sustained a, a pretty hefty knee injury. But Pedroia is a four-time All-Star who was the American League Rookie of the Year in 2007 and the American League MVP in 2008 when the Red Sox went on to win the World Series. He played 17 seasons, all of which with Boston. He won three World Series rings and four Gold Glove Awards. Uh, Pedroia was just a great player for many years, and frankly, he was the catalyst for that Boston offense during their World Series runs. And I would fully suspect that Pedroia would be in the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, before too long. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but based on his resume and what he meant to that Boston Red Sox team, uh, I certainly think that uh, the Hall of Fame will be calling Dustin Pedroia. Now, I mentioned uh, last week that Major League Baseball, the Cactus League, had talked with MLB officials about maybe postponing, uh, delaying the start of the Cactus League spring training. Uh, No follow-up on that, but Major League Baseball had proposed to the Major League Baseball Players Association a deal to delay the start of spring training due to the pandemic. And this proposal uh, for the delayed spring training also included a delayed opening day start of April 28th as well as a shortened regular season from 162 games down to 154. So they're starting they would be starting the season late and nixing eight games off the regular season schedule. Now the uh, the expanded playoff teams that we saw this year, 14 playoff teams and the universal designated hitter rule would also be in effect as part of this deal that Major League Baseball proposed, which to me I've mentioned before several times, I love the expanded playoffs. And I love the universal designated hitter. So I was hoping that this deal would get approved by the MLBPA. But the MLBPA said, thanks, but no thanks. We want to start on time and play a full season. So MLBPA rejected Major League Baseball's offer. So as of now, uh, spring training and the regular season are going to be played as scheduled. And there will be no expanded playoffs or universal designated hitter. But we'll move over to the National Football League. And, boy, we had a big trade that went down this past week in Major League or in National Football League. And that involved the Los Angeles Rams and the Detroit Lions. And I talked last week how the Lions were actively shopping Matthew Stafford. He listed his house for sale, so you knew something was imminent. And then it came out later in the week that he got traded to the L.A. Rams. Now, this trade was maybe even more lopsided than that baseball trade we just talked about, the Arenado trade. The Rams, they sent quarterback Jared Goff a third-round pick this year and their next two first-round picks in 2022 and 2023 to the Lions in exchange for Matthew Stafford. So it was basically a four-for-one deal Goff immediately steps in as the Lions' new starting quarterback. Uh, Maybe a little bit of a downgrade from Stafford in terms of throwing talent, but he's still a good young quarterback on a $100 million deal. And the Lions also get two first-round picks and a third-round pick this year. So the Lions, I think, definitely won that trade. I don't see how you can argue that they lost that trade. Uh, They will have... They're one first-round pick this year, and then each of the next two drafts, they'll have two first-round picks the next couple years. So uh, if you want to talk about they just hired uh, Dan Campbell to be their new head coach on a five-year deal. So 
Lions are starting to rebuild. They have some good young offensive pieces to do that, and just adding more first-round picks cannot hurt that cause. So, But the Rams, I mean, my God, they just seem to be allergic to first-round picks. Uh, like, Jared Goff was the last Rams first-round pick, and that was back in 2016. Since then, the Rams have traded the following first-round picks. 2017 first-round pick got traded to the Tennessee Titans. 2018, they traded it to the New England Patriots. 2019, they traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Then 2020, this past draft, uh, and the 2021 draft, this year's draft, the Rams traded their first-round picks for both of those drafts to the Jacksonville Jaguars in that Jalen Ramsey deal. And then, of course, 2022 and 2023, they just sent those to the Detroit Lions. So that makes seven years that they will not have had a first-round pick. Now, they're still a perennial playoff team, the Rams are, and I think Stafford probably helps keep them there. But they have Matt Stafford, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey, who probably account for about 35 to 40% of their salary cap. And they just don't have any first-round picks. And it's just, it's the weirdest thing. Is I don't see how a team can be that successful without having a first-round pick in seven years. But for some reason, the Rams just make it work. And uh, that'll be interesting to see how uh, the Lions utilize those picks and what players they end up getting. But some real positive news out of the National Football League. The Washington football team, uh, head coach Ron Rivera, announced this past week that he was completely cancer-free. He had a checkup this past week, and he was deemed to be cancer-free, which is phenomenal. Um, He coached a full season while kind of battling uh, his cancer and doing his treatments, and he went 7-9 and in his first year as a Washington football team head coach and actually led the Washington football team to the NFC East division title. So great news for Ron Rivera. He's a great coach. He obviously is making a difference there in Washington, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how their offseason unfolds and who they uh, end up making uh, their quarterback if they stay with Alex Smith or if they draft one of these uh, young quarterbacks in the draft. But zip back over to the National Basketball Association. Uh, The NBA and the NBA Players Association, they are progressing towards an agreement for a single-night All-Star game event and skills competition on March 7th. There's no official word on whether this is going to take place or not, but the NBA is going to announce two All-Star teams regardless of whether or not they play a game. Kind of like NFL did the Pro Bowl. They're still going to have their All-Star selections uh, whether or not they play the game. Which is funny because LeBron James has already come out and said that he has zero interest in participating in any All-Star event. Which is funny because he's the current leading vote-getter amongst all NBA players for the All-Star game. So, uh, you know, at this point in his career, LeBron really doesn't have anything else to prove. He's one of the top players in NBA history, and they just came off of a shortened offseason. So I don't necessarily blame LeBron, but... um, It'll be nice to see if if the NBA can get an all-star game uh, out there and and see if they can get something like a skills competition or something for the fans to watch. But we'll move over to NCAA and college football. This past weekend was the Reese's Senior Bowl that is played annually in Mobile, Alabama, where the nation's top seniors go down, and it's basically an NFL tryout. They have workouts all week, interviews with teams, and... uh, you know, they play a game, uh, American versus National were the designated team names. There's There were a hundred, about 100 prospects that made the trip to Mobile. And what's interesting about this Senior Bowl this year is that we've already, the, the NFL has already announced that there's not going to be a, an actual NFL combine and that the combine workouts will take place during the university's individual pro days. So this is really the only chance that these seniors have to uh, meet with teams in person and, you know, basically have a tryout outside of a, a, a pro day. So the underclassmen that aren't eligible to participate in the Senior Bowl uh, kind of are at a little disadvantage by not being able to. Um, but the 
which, you know, the Senior Bowl, they actually, they wanted to do it big because of the, the special circumstances. They actually spent $12,000 on plexiglass so they could set up different interview stations for the teams to meet with the players in person. Because when I talked about the Combine getting canceled a couple episodes ago, the NFL Combine, they're going to do virtual interviews with players after their pro day workouts. So again, another advantage to participating in the Senior Bowl was you get to do in-person interviews. They were 15 minutes long, and so it was just a great uh, great event for the seniors. And uh, hats off to Jim Nagy and the um, Reese's Senior Bowl staff for being able to conduct a successful week. Now, the national team, they were coached by the Miami Dolphins coaching staff, uh, and the American team was coached by the Carolina Panthers coaching staff. Now, the national team beat the American team by a score of 27-24, to 24, so it ended up being a good close game. Uh, the national team actually got up a couple scores in the first half, uh, and the American team came back and kind of made it a close game, but... The MVP of the Senior Bowl was Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond, who was on the American team, actually the losing team. So the MVP, not too often the MVP comes from a losing team. But Mond uh, went 13 of 25 for 173 yards passing and two touchdowns. And then he added two carries for 11 yards on the ground. So just a great event and uh, another successful Senior Bowl. Uh, This one especially with more meaning. And it was just good to see. I, I watched the game. It was it was fun to watch. And there were a, there's a lot of talent. This is probably one of the better senior bowls in terms of talent uh, that that participated in this. So it it made it quite the uh, quite the spectacle. Now some other big news out of college football is that EA Sports, uh, the video game uh, makers, they announced that they will officially be bringing back the herald heralded. NCAA football video game. Now, I loved this game growing up. It was one of my favorite games. I got it every year. It was NCAA football is what it was called. Now, they announced the return. They had to, The last game to be made was NCAA 2014. So they haven't released a game in about six, seven years. They're not expected to release the new game uh, in 2021. They are waiting for the NCAA to have a ruling on the name, image, and likeness federal bill that has been proposed. And basically, if passed, this bill would allow college athletes to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. So in the previous games, you know, it just it didn't have anybody's names. Uh, all the college players just had, you know, their numbers on their jerseys and the rosters just said quarterback number, whatever, running back number, whatever. It never had actual names on the on the roster. So if this bill is passed, this EA Sports can actually plug in legit names and, and ratings and everything like that, and the college players can stand to benefit monetarily from that. So uh, interesting development there, but I'm definitely pumped that EA Sports is doing that and coming back out with the game. I will certainly be buying that first edition when it does come out. Now, it's only going to be available on the next-gen consoles, so uh, the new Xbox and the new PlayStation 5 is the only place you'll be able to get it, but uh, by then, uh, by the time they release it, that'll pretty much be the norm. Most people will have one of those next-gen consoles. But we'll move back over to the PGA Tour, and uh, the PGA announced this past week that the Open Championship, which is my favorite major of the year, it's uh, always in Europe, either England, Scotland, Ireland. Um, it was canceled last year due to the pandemic. It was the only major that wasn't played. But this year's Open Championship will be played with or without fans. So they've already said, doesn't matter if we're going to have fans or not, they're going to go ahead and play it. And that is scheduled to take place July 15th through the 18th of this year at the Royal St. George's Golf Course in England. So I'm definitely... Uh, looking forward to that, and um, that's, like I said, it's my favorite major. It's just something special about waking up or seeing golf going on at 6 a.m., you know, super early, and um, just watching those guys compete on a, on a very different type of course than courses that we have here in the United States. 
But uh, we'll, we'll head over real quick to NCAA basketball and uh, men's basketball, the week 11 rankings. We'll go through those, the top 25. Um, Gonzaga is your top team. They're 17 and0. Baylor, 16 and0. Interesting note about Baylor. Uh, they just beat my Texas Longhorns uh, the other night. They have won all of their games by at least eight points, which hasn't been done since 1940s. Uh, Villanova's 11 and one, Michigan's 13 and one, Houston 15 and one. Although they just lost a, a heartbreaker the other night. Texas Longhorns 11 and three, Ohio State they're 14 and four, uh, and they had a big win the other night against Iowa, who is number nine in these rankings that was released before that game was played. Iowa coming into that game or into this week was 12 and four. Oklahoma. They've had a couple of big wins. They're 11 and 4. Alabama's number 10 at 14 and 4. They're looking pretty good, proving that they are not just a football school. Tennessee is 12 and 3. Illinois 11 and 5. Texas Tech 12 and 5. Virginia 11 and 3. Creighton uh, 13 and 4. Although they just lost a game the other night as well. Virginia Tech 13 and 3. West Virginia 11 and 5. Missouri, 11-3. Wisconsin, 13-5. They seem to be picking up steam, though, here lately. Uh, Number 20 is Florida State at 10-3. Number 21, UCLA, 13-3. Florida, 10-4. Kansas, they've dropped quite a bit. They're 11-6 after uh, starting the season in the top five. Uh, Purdue Boilermakers, they're number 24 at 12 and 6. And then number 25 team in the country is Drake. And they're also 16 and 0. Uh, but they are not getting the love that they deserve simply because they play in a small, uh, non Power 5 conference. But that team, I've seen highlights of some of their games. They look uh, just as legit as some of these uh, Power 5 schools. But I do have to circle back to Major League Baseball for just a minute. And there was some news that just broke out of the MLB with regards to a massive free agent signing. And that free agent is starting pitcher Trevor Bauer. He uh, just, the news just broke actually as I was recording this podcast. And the ace starting pitcher Trevor Bauer has agreed to a three-year, $102 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, He's got an opt-out clause after 2021 and 2022, but Trevor Bauer is going to be making $40 million this year and $45 million next year. That's just absurd. This signing is out of control. The Dodgers just won the World Series, right, Uh, a couple months ago. And they go out and they sign the ace, Trevor Bauer, to go with two aces that they already have in their rotation, uh, Walker Buehler and Clayton Kershaw. This signing keeps the Dodgers as the favorites. Now, Trevor Bauer was the third overall pick in the 2011 MLB draft. The Dodgers are his fourth team that he's played on. But last year with the Cincinnati Reds, Trevor Bauer won the National League Cy Young Award, and he led the National League in ERA. His strikeout totals have always been Uh, near the top of wherever he's pitched. And he is just a fantastic pitcher. And he goes to L.A. and joins Kershaw and Bueller and the rest of that Dodgers team. And I don't see how they can't still be the favorites to win the World Series. Uh, Certainly, they're the favorites in the National League West. And I don't see a team uh, that's going to beat them come playoff time three out of five games or four out of seven games with that rotation that they're rolling out. I just don't see it happening. And I know uh, a little bit ago I talked about the Major League Baseball free agent signings. They lost a couple outfielders, Jock Peterson, Kike Hernandez, but their lineup is still good enough to produce runs uh, left and right. And then when you have three absolute ace, all-star starting pitchers, you don't really need to score a whole lot of runs if you can get six, seven quality innings from your starter because their bullpen is good too. Uh, The Dodgers have a complete team from top to bottom, and this just solidifies that even more. So I would fully expect the Dodgers to represent the National League in the World Series again this year. 
Um, nothing about their lineup changes uh, has indicated anything different. And then you throw Trevor Bauer into the mix. So uh, I just had to get back over to that news because, like I said, that just broke literally as I was uh, doing this podcast. But that's going to wrap up the 26th episode of the Sports Island podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, it wasn't as long as the previous few episodes have been, uh, and that was by design. We haven't had uh, as much to talk about this week, but still got you caught up on everything going on around major sports. And uh, as always, this podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. You can uh, rate, review, and subscribe to tune into the podcast, and it's also available on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. So appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy your Super Bowl weekend. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.